Welcome, and thank you for joining Discipleship Conditioning, where we present anatomy through a biblical lens. As we always do, let's start the show off with prayer requests. Prayer at erratphysiology.com is our email. If you have prayers, please send them to us. We would love to pray for you. By the end of today's podcast, you'll know how the gallbladder and the kidneys pertain to earthly life. We're going to be talking about the book of Job, specifically Job 16, 12 through 13. We serve men between the ages of 20 and 40 who have ever felt persecuted over their God-given qualities. Through anecdotal experiences in life, as well as the field of anatomy, and more importantly, the scholastic truth of the Bible, we teach how God's word impacts every facet of our lives. We are faced with a problem of societal influence, outweighing biblical influence, which leads to our succumbing to the evil tactics intended to destroy us. We serve brothers, and thereby sisters, with authenticity in the midst of change, through our calling and ministry as teachers, relating the often opposed subjects of anatomy and the Bible. Got some exciting stuff to share, as I mentioned in the last podcast. I'm working on a free PDF uh, this week, and I'm probably about 30% of the way through the document. Um, What I've done is I've listed alphabetically all structures of the body that are relevant and appear in the Bible. And then I've listed every verse in which that term appears. Now I'm going to have to go back through and I'm going to have to remove stuff that pertains to animals. Uh, For instance, the kidneys. There's only one verse that I found for kidneys that pertains to um, the human experience. And that would be what we're talking about today, Job 12 through 13, or 16, 12 through 13, specifically Job 16, 13. 12 is just kind of an introductory to 13. And after getting about 30% of the way through that, so again, yes, I have to go back and I have to edit uh, some things. And so this number is going to, going to decrease. But after getting about 30% of the way through in sort of this rough draft, uh, if I reduce the font size to 12 from um, any other size, there are 63 pages worth of material. So if my guesstimation of 30% is accurate, For easy math, we'd multiply that by three, and we'd end up with 189 pages. That's quite the PDF. If we have any doubt that anatomy and the Bible are linked, I think we're on the fast track to eliminating that doubt. 
We are self-sponsored, airatphysiology.com. There we have blog-style articles, which are turning to vlog-style articles. I've gone back and forth on this one a number of times. But what I'm realizing is that the gift that God has given me is not a writer uh, as much as I want it to be. I think I'm a decent writer, but it's out of force. I have a couple things on my bucket list at this point in time. One is to write a book start to finish, and the other one is to make a song start to finish. The song will more than likely be more difficult for me because I'm not a musician. I have a drum set, and I play my drum set fairly often, uh, but I by no means am a drummer. In fact, if you were to see video of this, you would see the drum set behind me in my office here. You can see video of me if you go on YouTube. We're starting a YouTube channel there. Um, you can check that out, erratphysiology.com. We're titling the channel uh, the same as this podcast, Discipleship Conditioning. You can check that out. And so each blog that we do is going to be there. Uh, but what I'm realizing is that even though I can write, it's not something that comes natural to me. It's not something that's super enjoyable for me. I've been given the unique gift of presentation. I enjoy getting up and speaking in front of a group of people. I enjoy professing. I enjoy recording videos and being on camera. I enjoy doing things live and not premeditating a whole lot about what I'm going to say. I couldn't read directly off a script. I perform better on the fly. And I learned that in college. In college, I tried to read off a script and all my presentations were very robotic and they weren't, they weren't me. I wasn't coming through. And actually it's kind of a funny story how I first truly observed my gift of public speaking and presenting sort of by accident. I'd done all this preparation for a freshman class. A presentation I have, the class was called University Foundations. And I showed up to class and I had completed the project. It's ready to go, but I'd completely forgot that that day was the day I was supposed to present. And I'd already volunteered for it. The instructor asked who would like to volunteer on the first day, who would like to volunteer first. And I volunteered for both of those instances. Uh, because I was nervous and I figured if I get this done first, I can actually learn something from these other presentations because I won't be nervous focused on my presentation coming up. And so I did that, but then I completely forgot. Thankfully I did all the work, but I completely forgot. Also, thankfully I'd saved uh, my documentation online. So that class, I want to say it was a Tuesday. I get to class and the instructor walks from the front of the room to the back of the room and says, all right, first up, we have Dan Miller. And I'm like, oh boy, I completely forgot this one. So I walk up there, hop on the computer at the front that attaches to the projector, spend a few moments logging into my online accounts, and uh, I'm able to pull up a completed project. And I just had to go with it. 
I wasn't willing to tell the instructor that I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready. And interestingly enough, it was one of the best presentations I've ever had. And at that moment, I knew, okay, I can, you know, prepare the PowerPoint. I can prepare the document. I can prepare whatever materials I'm going to share, but I'm not going to rehearse. Not going to rehearse. Anytime in my life where I've tried to rehearse something out, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked well. And so even with this podcast, I try to be live in that sense. I've already had the feeling probably twice in this podcast to start over because I've made some errors, but I don't because I don't do edits. I want things to be authentic and to show me being in the midst of change myself. That's a little long-winded to describe why we are deciding we're going to go with vlogs instead of blogs, but that's the reasoning behind it. Um, I'm going to try as best I can in the future to not be sort of a cog, a dysfunctional cog in the system of me uh, to where I'm holding things down or perhaps a bottleneck is a better analogy than a cog. And blogging and writing books is slowing me down. It's not a cog that turns at the speed that the rest of them do. And that slows everything else down. Now, in terms of nonfiction books, again, I just mentioned one of my bucket list items is to write a book start to finish. So I still want to do that. I'm still going to do that. It's just going to be at a much slower pace. That book is called The Year Without Television. And on about a weekly basis, I feel a strong urge to write. And so I'm going to take advantage of that when it occurs naturally. But apart from that, just about everything you see from us is going to be in video or audio form. We've created a bunch of strength and conditioning programs. They are available on erratphysiology.com slash programs. We've also created three courses. We're working on two more, Bare Bones Anatomy, Bare Bones Physiology, and they are progressing. Yesterday, I got a lot of work done on those, and I'm excited to see how those turn out. You're listening to this faith-based podcast called Discipleship Conditioning. We also have faith-based coaching and a local summer camp. The summer camp is for speed, agility, and strength. We do it at a local Christian school so we can incorporate prayer and we can glorify God. If you'd like to inquire further on any of this, please reach out at hello at erratphysiology.com or simply visit our website, erratphysiology.com. The part of the podcast that matters, the Bible, Job 16, 12 through 13. We're going to apply this biblical verse or set of verses to the anatomy and physiology that we understand so well. I was at ease. He broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surrounded me. He slashed open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall 
on the ground. The first section of that, he broke me apart. What I'd like to point out is that God created us in every speck of us. He breathed into life man, and he made it woman from man. If he has that power, and we genuinely believe he has that power to create us and everything around us, how easily could he destroy us? He could end us in an instant, and it wouldn't be a challenge. And you can't think of an earthly comparison. You can't think of two wrestlers of very different weight classes and how unfair it would be. You can't think of two wrestlers from two different genders and how different and how unfair that would be. There is not an earthly example that you can think of to truly, truly depict the power of God and how easily he created us and how easily he could destroy us. And I'm not going to get into the book of Job from a biblical scholar standpoint. I am not a biblical scholar. There are many verses within Job that I do not understand accurately. I know that to be fact. But what I can speak to is the unique power of God. And in the next two sections of our application, how that relates to the anatomy that we understand so well. He flashed open my kidneys. Most of us hear the word kidney, and we simply think of an organ or two that we have that we probably need. I remember as a kid thinking that I had two livers and one kidney. Now, obviously, that's not the case. We have two kidneys and one liver, but I didn't know. I was in elementary school. And most people from an anatomy and physiology standpoint don't really progress much further than a middle school or a high school level. Some people may not even know that the kidneys pertain to the renal system or the urinary system. Speaking for about 99% of the population, we've covered most of the points that people know about kidneys. And so it's easy to take something like the kidneys for granted. And here in a little bit, we'll talk about uh, what would happen if your kidneys were slashed open and your gall was on the ground. And I believe that when they say gall uh, in the book of Job, I believe that they're referring to the gallbladder. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, but for now, let's dive into the kidneys and talk about the complexity that most people don't understand. And by the end of it, it'll be yet one more example as to how we are created by God's design. This stuff just doesn't happen on its own. It does not. There's no way. There's far too much complexity, even in these two little organs called the kidneys. The kidneys begin with blood flow in 
Most of you know that that is along the arterial side of the cardiovascular system. So we have arteries that enter the kidneys. Those arteries then become smaller and we label them as arterioles. Under normal circumstances, those arterioles will go to capillaries, which will then go to venules, which will then go to veins, which will come back to the heart. However, the kidneys are very unique in that they have a set of arterioles labeled as afferent and efferent that act much in the same way as a capillary, even though by definition they are not a capillary. The word afferent is used primarily in the nervous system. It means towards. So if you touch a hot stove, the signal that goes from your fingertips, assuming you touched it with your fingertips, to your brain is an afferent transmission. That transmission is oftentimes referred to as sensory transmission. So here in the kidneys, we're using it for directional purposes, going from something to something outside the kidneys, inside the kidneys, or at least heading that direction. The term efferent describes the opposite. In the nervous system, with that analogy of touching the hot stove with your fingertips, you have the afferent signal, the sensory signal that works its way to the brain, and then you have a signal to do something about that from the brain back out to the musculature of the arm to move the hand from the stove. So you have afferent in, you have efferent out. Again, afferent is also known as sensory. Efferent is also known as motor. Here in the kidneys, we're just using it to describe direction. So part of the arterial, the renal arterioles, and there are millions of these in each kidney, are modified to create a structure known as the glomerulus. Going into the glomerulus is the afferent arterial. Going out of the glomerulus is the efferent arterial. The glomerulus, if you were for a moment to clasp your hands together, that would almost resemble what the glomerulus looks like with your fingers passing by each other. It would also mimic its functionality. If you were to turn those clasped hands sort of upside down to where you formed this cup or bowl and fill it with water, you're going to leak some of that water through because it's not a watertight seal. Well, the glomerulus works in a similar way. Arterioles do not have any fenestrations or openings under normal circumstances. The first place we can diffuse products of blood is through a capillary system. And here in the kidneys, we haven't made it to the capillaries yet. However, these arterioles are unique in that the glomerular part of the arterioles is fenestrated, meaning there are cuts and there are slits. And so much like that analogy that I just gave you of your clasped hands turned upside down trying to hold water, 
It's not going to be able to do that efficiently. So the glomerulus is essentially going to act as a filter. It's going to allow small products through those fenestrations and large products will remain within. When we say large products, we're saying cells like erythrocytes and leukocytes. We're saying large proteins, maybe even some large peptides. But anything smaller than a peptide for sure, uh, like glucose, sodium, potassium, different amino acids, those are going to be able to make it through the glomerulus. Again, we call that process fil filtration. We're only on the third step of the kidneys, and you can already see why this is often students' least favorite subject in my class, in any anatomy and physiology class. There's a lot of complexity, and we're only three steps in. So coming out of the glomerulus is the efferent arterial, where those large products remain. Around the glomerulus is called a glomerular capsule, and it sort of collects all the fluid, all the products that come through that filtration system. Coming out of the other end of the glomerular capsule is your first tubule, and it's called the proximal convoluted tubule. That merges into the nephron loop, which is the second part of the tubule. And then the third part of the tubule that the nephron loop merges into is called the distal convoluted tubule. And without boring you too much, the role here is to take the majority of what we filtered and give it back to the blood system. So now we do interact with a capillary system, and in the kidneys, those capillaries are called paratubular capillaries. This is because on average, on a daily basis, we filter through the glomerulus 180 liters of fluid per day. Now, I don't expect you to measure how much fluid you urinate on a daily basis, but I can assure you it's not 180 liters per day. You wouldn't be alive if that were the case. You probably urinate somewhere between two and five liters. Five would actually be on the high end by quite a bit. Um, so probably a little closer to two liters, three liters. So what the tubules are doing is they're sending fluid back to blood, the paratubular capillaries, to maintain our homeostasis. And what's left over is urine which at this point we don't call it urine, we call it filtrate. There's a third process known as secretion that sort of polishes things off, depending on if we need to uh, bring something back into the tubules from the blood system. But that is a minimal account of fluid movement in comparison to filtration and reabsorption. Once we get through the distal convoluted tubule and we pass through the paratubular capillaries, we enter the venules. And those venules are the smallest components of veins that are not capillaries. 
And then those venules merge into veins and we work our way out of the kidney and on our way back out to the heart. And this structure is the same for both kidneys. And you can see now the complexity of the system that most of us have never heard of, or those of us that have probably taken it for granted, undoubtedly taken it for granted. Thank God we don't have to think about all these processes and recite this in order for it to actually occur. It just occurs autonomically on its own. And this is just one subset of a system. Here on the podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of different systems and a lot of different processes. And even by the end of this podcast, whenever that episode may be, we still will not have covered everything within the human body. Even if you were to understand science completely at its 2023 level, it's not a complete understanding of the human body. There are things about the brain that we don't fully understand. There are things about even the kidneys that we don't even fully understand. In fact, most of our understanding is analogous with our misunderstanding to that of an iceberg floating in the ocean. I would relate the iceberg above water's surface, the iceberg that you see, is what we understand. What you don't see is what we don't understand. You've probably heard that analogy in other contexts. And if that analogy doesn't make sense to you, Google a picture of an iceberg below and above water, and you'll see that far more than 90% of the iceberg is below water. And honestly, I don't even know for anatomy and physiology if that's a proper analogy. I think that we need to probably stack some weights on that iceberg and push it down a little bit further. It's astounding how much we don't understand. And what's humbling about that is as I'm going into length on how God created our kidneys and how he designed them to work, it's overwhelming for, the mo for most of us. If I try and wrap this into one of my classes in one lecture, it's a good way to scare students. It's a good way to scare them off. It's almost too much information, even in the way that I've just presented it over the last 10 minutes or so, for one class. So it often has to be split up into two different weeks. And again, that's just on my minute understanding. What we don't understand is astounding. We as humans like to think that we understand everything. Because... That's just how we're wired. And two, we think, look how complex this process is and all these fancy Greek and Latin names that we put on all these things. They can't possibly be more complex than this. And then another study's done and we observe more. Another study's done and we observe more. Yet all of this was created in an instant by God. I hope as we discuss these different systems and processes and events and those sorts of things that you begin, if you don't already, to understand 
how this doesn't arise from primordial soup. Molecules don't smash together and then all of a sudden complete these complex prop processes. Just, it doesn't happen. And that's not just me saying it. There's a fantastic book called Undeniable by Douglas Axe, and that's just one of many books in sort of this arena uh, that discusses how proteins fold and that proteins don't fold randomly on their own in a way that would create an organelle or create a cell or create anything greater than that. Most of our body is made up of proteins, which is why this observation matters, because if we come from a primordial soup, we need molecules to mash together to form proteins. We need those proteins to fold in a very specific way. We need those proteins to become organelles. We need those organelles to help in creating a cell. We need that cell to become multicellular. We need that multicellular system to become tissue, which it would by being multicellular. That's the definition of tissue. We need those tissues to then become organs. We need those organs to operate with other organs to form an organ system. And we need those organ systems to work homeostatically with other organ systems to form an organism, which we call a human being. This doesn't happen by accident, people. It does not happen by accident. If you're interested in other texts that explain why this doesn't happen by accident, please reach out via email. Hello at erroratphysiology.com. And I'd be happy to send you the titles uh, that you can look at them yourself. He pours out my gall on the ground. I believe that he's referring to gallbladder when he says gall. The gallbladder, for those of you that don't know, stores bile. It does not produce bile. That comes from the liver, but it stores bile. That bile is needed to emulsify lipids. The way we absorb lipids is different than the way we absorb proteins or carbohydrates. Proteins and carbohydrates go directly into the blood system. Lipids go into the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system eventually meets with the cardiovascular system and it all mixes together. But there is that unique route of absorption in the beginning. If you don't have a gallbladder, that doesn't mean you don't have bile. You still do from the liver, but you don't store and concentrate it because you don't have that area. You don't have the gallbladder anymore. Now, many of you probably know you can live without a gallbladder. There's, a few, there's quite a few things, actually, you can live without. The kidneys uh, together are not one of those. You have to have at least one kidney, but since you have two, you can donate a kidney, you can lose a kidney, and still survive. So when it refers to the slashing of kidneys and the pouring out of gall, more than likely, this is going to be an event that is traumatic for the individual. But it is possible that the individual could live from having one kidney and a gallbladder removed. The liver would continue its function. 
and the other kidney would take over for the kidney that was lost. However, and you can ask anybody that doesn't have a gallbladder, they'll probably tell you that fatty foods, high lipid-based foods, are difficult for them to digest properly uh, because the bile that we need helps emulsify those lipids. And if we don't have an area of concentration in the gallbladder, we don't have an ability to release that bile into the small intestine, a segment known as the duodenum, to emulsify those lipids. Think of bile secretion out of the liver as being a leaky faucet, drip by drip by drip. And eventually, if you put a cup under the drip, you'll get a full cup, and you'll be able to concentrate whatever is in that cup. That's analogous to how the gallbladder works with the liver. Again, if you take the gallbladder away, however, and that leaky faucet just drips into the duodenum through the pancreas, you're going to have bile available when you don't need it, and you're not going to have enough bile available when you do need it. So would this lead to uh, life or death? Yeah, more than likely one kidney being removed in gallbladder would lead to death, especially because of the trauma and the open wound. But theoretically, what we know is that you can live without your gallbladder and you can live without one kidney. So theoretically, you could survive uh, this sort of thing. Uh, but when Job was written in these times, the technology, we assume, wasn't where it is today, and so likely someone would succumb to this sort of thing. Again, I'm not going to dive into the meaning behind the book of Job. That is far above my understanding, and there are many more qualified individuals to do so. Um, but we've been able to apply a unique anatomy and physiology approach to this set of verses within Job. Christian decision-making, when a decision is needed, seek prayer, then scripture, then wise counsel. If you need prayer or you want to utilize us as wise counsel, you can reach out to either of our emails that we've mentioned in this episode prayer at erratphysiology.com or hello at erratphysiology.com. Let's conclude with the Lord's prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.